Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. another brilliant takedown we got sean malloy of i must break this podcast hey thanks for the invite man it's a it's a (laughs) a pleasure talking with you guys no thank you and then we got freaking john mark from the action elite (laughs) what's up everybody (laughs) tonight we gotta tackle the actor turned director and producer peter berg (laughs) and he was an interesting one for us to shuffle out of the whole topics because I just noticed, much like he works with a lot of the same kind of behind-the-scenes kind of effects artists, producers, and even stunt coordinators and writers. And you look at movies he's attached to as a producer that later went to Taylor Sheridan, another actor-turned-director who a lot of people dig, both critics and audiences, and then... You see, he's working with some of the same second unit people as Antoine Fuqua, and even uses Moro Fiore a lot, who works with Fuqua and Michael Bay. So, uh, this is a man of just many identities, let alone many experimentations. And so, I'll just let us circle around just casually before we just kind of go into individually on kind of select works. Uh, uh, Mr. Malloy, how did you come to appreciate this talent? Well, you know, yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting because <clears throat> I remember when, uh, yeah, when you when you pretty much sent me the list of uh, all of the actors and the directors and everything you guys were going to be discussing, I pretty much uh, handpicked this one um, because I think out of out of all of the directors that are out there, Peter Berg I think has had the most uh, fascinating trajectory of all of the films that he has done, and. My favorite film of his, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I should probably back up a bit, but like I said, I want to stress, I think he honestly, it took him a little bit. If you look at his entire filmography in terms of films that he directed, of all the films that he directed, um, it took him him a few films to kind of find his niche and to find what worked for him. But having said that, um, the first uh, film of his that I saw um, was Very Bad Things, which was his inaugural film. And I remember seeing that one in the theaters uh, when no it way. came out. And yeah, it was, um, I remember leaving the theater shell-shocked. Um, anyone who has not seen, I'm, assume, I'm assuming you guys have seen Very Bad Things, right? Uh, uh, have you yeah. seen it, John? I've seen it. Okay, yeah, perfect. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, uh, well, let's not get too spoilery, but yeah, I know what you mean. It is totally, and what's so funny for the lot, well, Actually, I'll, I'll pass it back to you, but then and then I'll get slowly into it. <laughs> well, the great thing about Very Bad Things is, um, I mean, first of all, it is, it is an extremely dark comedy, which is what it's obviously a deal, mm-hmm. attempting to mm-hmm. be. Um, and that, that's one of the things that I always loved about it. But I, I, I'll never forget. Oh, shit. I was 16 years oh, wait, old. Wait, wait, we lost you there for a minute. I apologize. I don't know what happened. but Okay. Let, let, let's backtrack yeah n- yeah okay now, now you're good okay so, okay so like i was saying I'm, i remember seeing that one in the theaters when i was 16 and i literally <laughs> i literally left the theater completely shell-shocked i had never seen anything like it before i was um i mean i remember there were so many scenes that i was just laughing hysterically at and then other scenes that just left me completely uh disturbed at just how dark it was but it was it was a film experience that i had never um that i never experienced before and so that's one of the things that i appreciate about peter berg is because 
for that being his inaugural directing film, okay, his his first you know directorial effort, the film is very much a uh, a look at me type film. You know what I mean? It's it's very much a voyeuristic. Yeah, it's very much a, you know, hey, I'm a director now, and I'm going to show everyone what I can do on film. And if you look at his entire filmography, it is easily the, um, I would say, the the right angle to what he eventually fell into in terms of his, uh, in terms of his films. That's very, I, I could not have said that better. Uh, you, you really nailed it on, he really, instead of even just getting too comfortable or even sticking to a formula, he basically, he clearly loves movies, obviously, hence why he got into the industry. But then he kind of, he even just uh, picks and chooses. He picks everyone's brain. Uh, I'll get into a few other reasons when we discuss whatever movie. But um, yeah, this one is a perfect example because, I mean, I saw it on El Rey a few years back and it's just so wild. I, for the longest time, I would, you know, see it in the TV guide, you know, remarked upon. I had seen some, you know, caught parts of similar kind of movies with different elements and mistaken it, sadly, for a bunch of other B movies, which I still don't even know the name to, but I know I've seen part of. <laughs> just, you know, people at parties going hysterical, you know, committing murder and just, you know, other sex and what could easily sound like a horror movie just going out of hand. And yeah, no, I, I was. Uh, glad to know that this was not the movie I had gotten it mixed up with for so many years. It's like, no, th this is a very off color, but so brilliantly put together movie. Uh, I even had a screenwriter writing professor who mentioned it briefly, believe it or not. <laughs> well, everyone in the film brings it. I mean, that's the thing that I, I appreciate so much about it is it is such a wonderful example of what a dark comedy is. But everybody on screen, I mean, it has an amazing ensemble cast, but no one is sleepwalking in their role. No, Cam no. Cameron Diaz is is absolutely just deliciously evil in it. Christian Slater, you can tell that he is having a ball in it. Um, even you know, the oh, one yeah. the one that stood out to me was Daniel Stern. I mean, Daniel Stern had pretty much been absent from films for a while. And here he does, you know, he went from doing like kind of kitty stuff, right? Like Home Alone and whatnot in the 90s. And then he does this completely nihilistic dark comedy. Uh, in yeah, bad things. Mm -hmm. It was it was just awesome to see. Absolutely. Then Piven, who again works with, uh, you know, Berg on a few other projects, is here, and he's basically the dipshit who just makes everything you know be five thousand degrees even more difficult. And <laughs> I mean, I like the movie Stag, which had predated it by about a year, to where even the yeah. Okay, Again, the producers talk endlessly about, you know, what, uh, you know, let's make sure we change the script up before, uh, you know, we, we get it to the right angle. Um, uh, but like, like you say, I mean, uh, all the actors have so much to bite into and you even got another actor turned filmmaker, John Favreau. And I, I really like his character because constantly he's just breaking a sweat and he I think he's kind of one of the few who actually connects with the audience. <laughs> it's like, he oh, is. No, yeah. you're not thinking what I think you're thinking. Oh, I don't even recognize you anymore. <laughs> well, the, the, the other great thing about the film is in my opinion, I think it's one of the best. Um, it's one of the best storytelling conceits. I, I like, I like to look at it as it's the perfect snowball effect of a movie. And in my opinion, those are some of my favorite stories. I love the, I love the, the conceit of, Okay, a character is in over their heads, okay, and every step they make to try and fix the problem or to try and cover up the problem creates another problem and then creates another problem. And then it just creates – and it, it is the perfect example of that. And I think, in my opinion, like I said, those are some of my favorite, um, my favorite stories, my favorite films that I – you know, just love to watch because it's kind of like you said, how John Favreau, he's the, um, he's the audience surrogate or whatever you, you watch these films and you're kind of like, Oh shit, what would I do in that situation? Okay. How would I get out of this situation? And those are, like I said, some of the best, uh, movie going experiences I have. That's why I've always enjoyed the hell out of that film. I, I absolutely. I mean, cause I think if you made it today, obviously there's some people who can get away with stuff like that. Probably the best connection is again, you know, the stuntmen turned filmmakers who, you know, like Chad Stahelski and company, David Leach, you know, who are doing all these over the top 
Tarantino-esque, Leon the Professional type movies. And like, mm-hmm. like to say here, I mean, the comedy is just really, there's so many degrees of it. There's the gross stuff, and then there's the psychological stuff. Then there's some other, oh, shit hitting the fan. Oh, no, this couldn't possibly get worse, could it? You know, <laughs> And I think because, like you say, you have so much to choose. You have so many characters you can follow around who are all intriguing in their own right. And, I mean, there just was no... Whoever it was that just promoted it just clearly wasn't all that inspired. I mean, for God's sakes, you got Stuart Copeland from The Police even doing the very moody score. You got... Kobe Tai, one of the best porn stars of all time, being the main victim in the movie. <laughs> you got very moody cinematography that really, and David Hennings in and of himself had kind of done a lot of low-budget B-movie stuff, but he makes this movie, the, the lighting in this reflects so many of the moods that are just escaping from everybody's thought process. And like you say, I mean, you look at the poster, it doesn't even do it justice. It's like, okay, yeah, there's chainsaws and everything, but this is not that over the top of a movie. I mean, it's over the top, but it's not, you know, <laughs> to where you can't no. feel like no one is acting like they possibly could in some kind of real life. And like you say, uh, mm-hmm. it just, it's even more, Peter Berg's credit as a doctor, but did anyone spot him as the guy at the, one of the guys at the funeral? I didn't notice that. It wouldn't surprise me, though. I mean, yeah. I didn't know if he was playing the same character uh, a scene later or what, but it was interesting. (laughs) It's kind of like Scorsese and Taxi Driver. Everyone forgets that he's also playing the guy outside the campaign building. (laughs) Well, fun fact, I don't know if... Well, I don't know if you guys picked up on it or not, but um, the there, there's the scene um, in the hospital right after uh, right after you know spoiler alert, but something uh, very bad happens to Daniel Stern in the movie and the scene where they're in the hospital. The police officer who is given who has taken the report from, from the everyone, fugitive, yeah, his his name is uh, Officer Randone. And if you go down Peter Berg's filmography when he did the film Copland. His character's name was Randone. He played a police oh, officer. Oh, nice. I did yeah. not make that connection. I, I remember yeah. him definitely in Copland as one of the rowdy boys. But no, that's yeah. very cool. That Because, I mean, like you say, you, you need that kind of winking. You need, that's when everyone knows, hey, it's time to get creative. And it's also, you know, time for everyone to hold their own. But no, that's so cool. I, I'm glad that you made that even connection because... You know, even a commentary track, you're not going to get that much detail. You know, well, and it's 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 very much a. I mean, sorry to repeat myself, but it's very clear that Peter Berg was not a gun for hire for that movie. Okay, no. it, it, it's very much that is his declaration to the the filmmaking world or to Hollywood or whatever that hey, I'm 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 entering the world of directing now. This is what I can do, and he's leaving a stamp. And what a film to to leave a stamp on, especially when you go down his entire filmography and look at the films he ended up falling into and kind of when he found that niche or whatever, it is, it is just so wild that that was his first film. Having said that though, what a film to debut on. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. that it couldn't have been easy. And I mean, you look at him in the last seduction, which is kind of John Dahl's attempt at kind of doing a Soderbergh type noir throwback. And, you know, he basically, I don't know if anyone else here has ever seen Chicago Hope, but he nailed it as, you know, Dr. Billy on that ensemble show and even, you know, three times got a nomination. Uh, But he kind of just had, was used, I mean, you look at him in uh, the Sam Jackson comedy, uh, The Great White Hype. He's was pretty much used to playing all the moody and rowdy kind of people. And I think... It's interesting how he's able to channel all that energy without being an over-the-top prima donna, you know, behind the scenes. You know, <laughs> you know, he's he he knew how he could play on screen, and so he knew how he could play behind, you know, with so many toys at his disposal now. And like you said, I mean, it, it is very interesting to see him kind of do little small winks at earlier stuff he's done. Um. And it kind of makes sense how he did movies like The Kingdom. It made sense to me, at least, because I just remembered him being one of the te- detectives in Collateral. So I was like, oh, OK, well, so Michael Mann's helping to make his kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, no, so well said. I mean, I, I really don't think they can make very bad things at all in this day and age. I think it would just no. be too overkill. They would try to be too gross to where, you know, it's just it's, might as well be a very lame episode of Robot Chicken, you know, that goes over long, you know. And, and this one, I, I think it just, it still slips some people's minds. They've heard about it. And it's like, no, I've never heard of that that's a movie, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you really owe it to yourself for fans of the actors to actually see this movie. Cause it, it, it's really, in fact, if you even get any naysayers of any of the actors, like, no, no, go, go back to this one. I, I, I can't say that any of them were miscast here. <laughs> no, well, if you... Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. I'll go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, if you look at his filmography, I mean, that, that's what's so interesting about it is because after Very Bad Things, he took like a five year break. OK. And then he uh, so in between, you know, so he had that time where he did Very Bad Things. I think that came out. And I want to say, what was it? Ninety nine, I want to say. Or you know, yeah, 99. Fair enough. It definitely yeah. made money back by ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he took about a good five years off and then he did the rundown. Okay. With the rock. And I mean, I kind of wrote these films down and it's, like I said, it's, it's interesting, you know, kind of looking back upon it, but it's, it's really kind of wild when you think about um, when you think about Peter Berg and his name gets thrown out there. Um, the two things come to mind because of, like, I keep saying the niche that he found, you know, the niche that he, um, that he found or that he fell into. And it took him a little bit to kind of find, I mean, I think that's what all directors, what all good directors do is they dabble in a few different genres to kind of find what works for them. Right. Um, but I think with regard to him and his work, two things come up nowadays. First of all, Mark Wahlberg, he found, he found his muse in the form, in the form of Mark Wahlberg. I think every established director kind of has that, one actor that they really like to work with. So he and Mark Wahlberg kind of formed a partnership and he fell into making, um, I don't know if you guys want to call them, maybe not so much military uh, movies, but he fell into this uh, niche of um, making uh, thrillers based on true stories, if you will. And that really started with Lone Survivor. So if you look at what his career went into, he did Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon, and Patriot's Day. All these films that he did, coincidentally, <laughs> all starring uh, Mark Wahlberg, all telling true stories, okay, um, about real-life heroes, okay, involving the military or involving law enforcement, whatever it may be. Deepwater actually doesn't even involve those, but it's still a, a heroic story based on a true event. And um, that, that, I mean, that, that, that's a really kind of cool uh, niche that he carved out for himself, I think. Uh, I yeah, once again, I that perfect summary. I mean, because like you say, so many other filmmakers, you know, you know, when when you see them do typically, you know, that big long a gap between, you know, in front of and behind the camera, and then back in front of the camera again, then you know, five years later, back in front of the camera again, you wonder if it's again misbehaving, not really in them or whatever. And it's like, I think, like you say, he was just studying what he liked and getting inspired again. He hadn't, he wasn't ready to get, hang up the acting card and he still isn't. He still even appears in his own movies, yeah. uh, but it's not even necessarily even a Hitchcock thing. It's just like, well, someone's got to play that bit part. <laughs> Can I work yeah. it in while making sure the shots are done for the day? Sure. And but like you say, I mean, he basically will even take roles that could easily have been boring and he's like, I just need to tell the audience what's going on. <laughs> and so I find it so amusing how on the kingdom there he is as one of the feds. And he basically is just saying what the audience is definitely thinking. And in Deepwater Horizon, you know, he's the guy who says some key information that gets ignored. <laughs> you know, that's some definitely some irony there. <laughs> like, Because as the director is like, I hope you're listening to me because we got to get this thing done. Um, and like you say, I mean, the rundown was kind of just a perfect throwback to Commando and 48 hour type movies. And, uh, you know, he could have easily written on that formula all that time. And he didn't. Then he goes to Friday Night Lights and then does the TV show version of it, you know, wins some awards for that. And so I think that was the kicker is like, OK, 
now I'm going to go study with Michael Mann. I remember my experiences working with all the other likes of, say, even Jack Black and, you know, David E. Kelly and even Wes Craven and Shocker. But now I'm going to go to the next step. And like I say, I'm going to do biographies, but ones that also frill people who don't know anything about the real life story, as well as how they can be very cinematic and be a out of your seat kind of disaster movie experience that doesn't insult your intelligence, you know? And like you say, I think, yeah, uh, just getting in for that whole trilogy that was similarly themed uh, astounding, you know, rescue stories. I think the kingdom just kind of got him pramped up to that next level. It was like, okay, here's my takedown on how my scenario, you know, a bunch of feds angry at nine 11 storm into, you know, Saudi Arabia and take down a, a terror cell, you know, <laughs> and, but now, I'm going to take a lot of that same crew and that same kind of, you know, uh, steady cam kind of filmmaking. And then I'm going to go to the next step. And like you say, I, I love working with Marky Mark as a producer. So how about I have him be the actor? Uh, but he's not even the main star. I'm just kidding. A bunch of other guys who can definitely see as, you know, bearded, you know, uh, men on the front lines. <laughs> uh, and, and like you say, I mean, has anyone here seen the special features to Deepwater Horizon? I have not. I have. I I, I have the uh, the Blu-ray. I'm actually. Uh, I, I did right too. Now. It, it yeah. was. It really was a treat because you never really thought about you know what was real, what wasn't real. They just had enough to pick from. I mean, they were working with the head big shot producer Lorenzo Di Bonaventura, and I would have never known that was Industrial Light and Magic because personally, I've kind of found their graphics have kind of varied over the years and you know, come a long way since the 80s and 90s. And there is like, they did some outstanding, you know, fire effects, but never mm -hmm. to where it just took too much of the screen time or the fire. It's, the fire itself is definitely a character, but never to where it just leaves the audience literally cold. No pun, you know, <laughs> it just, it, it, you, you just follow these people around and you get the thoughts that are racing through their head. <laughs> well, and that's what's, that's what's so great about that trifecta i mean and i don't want to i don't want to completely skip over i mean before he before he kind of found that that niche where he's doing those you know military-esque true stories okay that he that he did he also had his hand at uh, some commercial some big well what do you want to call it some big summer blockbuster commercial stuff he did hancock and then he did battleship mm -hmm. which are completely dopey and disposable and no one even talks about him anymore but i think that was his attempt to uh to, to show that he could handle a um, behemoth of a budget and, you know, deliver something that was going to make money. Um, but when he, when he did Lone Survivor, that's why I almost, I almost like to watch Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon and Patriot's Day. I kind of like to watch those in tandem with one another because what I think is, is really admirable about them is you can tell each one of those films, he's essentially doing a love letter to, to that particular profession. So if you look Absolutely. at them, if you look at Lone Survivor, he is of course writing a uh, a love letter to the uh, to you know the, the armed forces and those soldiers you know who um, who told that story. With Deepwater Horizon, it's again those those roughneck um, oil drillers. And then with Patriots Day, Patriots Day is completely unabashed his full on appreciation for law enforcement, even at the end. And that that's one of the that's one of the slight, I don't want to call it an issue, but that's one of the, um, the slight problems that I have with some of those films is what he does at the end of those films, especially before he rolls the credits, is he shows real footage. And it's almost like this, this movie where there were actors, it kind of evolves into this documentary of sorts where he suddenly is bringing in the real people telling their story. And so for me, it was kind of like, all right, all right, Peter Berg, what are you doing here? Are you telling a doc? Are you doing a documentary? Or are you doing the movie? Because it gets to the point where it's like, maybe you should have just done a documentary. Maybe that would have been more interesting than telling the than than, than doing the film. You know what I mean? I, I know what you mean. So, and some some of those movies backfire because then you're like, wow, that guy could not look any differently from the real life person. That one, I guess, I, I didn't mind that they for Deepwater at least they did it uh way afterwards in the credits to where it's like okay so they're at least giving a little history lesson here that works but like you say is like uh 
I guess that was one of the faults with uh, Patriots Day, where it kind of it kind of hit too close uh, to where we weren't done, like you know, easing out of the film. It was like, okay, I need a little more extra breathing room, you know, after all that mayhem I've seen on screen. And yeah, I, I think he—I don't think he's ever perfect, but like you say, I think he—he he, he tries to make everyone as happy as they can be. And I think, oh no. like, like, like you say with Hancock, that was kind of too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, like even looking at the director's cut is like, wow, they should have totally released it that way. That would have added way more to the movie. And I, I think it just was writing too much on, again, just making fun of superhero movies and Will Smith carrying the movie. And uh, Battleship, I think, is the only one where you kind of look at, well, anyone could have done that movie. It, But, you know, it was just Hasbro giving money to the studios and you didn't even see any real inspired uh filmmaking in that one other than just kind of seeing you know <laughs> shit hit the fan and i think like you say i think he just knew where what his wheelhouse was he's gonna do a bunch of movies for universal he's gonna work on a bunch of these shows for fox and do stuff he, he definitely is a good storyboarder i think that's his strength he he knows what he what gets other people's attention in a movie, and at the same time, I think he's done a good job of avoiding just fall. And uh, until just now, it, he's for the most part he was avoiding just uh, fall into just any formula. And I think that's a a lot of applause there because so many other filmmakers for the longest time would just stumble, 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 and it's like. So what are you doing? <laughs> are you just taking the first thing that's offered to you and just, you know, you can't turn it down now? <laughs> you know, just and I I will say I will say there there is a uh, a part of me that I do think okay, he and Mark Wahlberg now have done what five movies together. I do think it would be behoove of both of them to maybe take a break from from working with each other just because, you know, um I didn't think mile 22 was that great. I thought mile 22, it, it had the same, it had a very similar um, military esque aesthetic as some of the other stuff that he has done. But other than that, it was extremely formulaic. And then Spencer confidential, um, which came out on Netflix last year. That was just, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, but that, that was a huge misfire from both parties. You can tell that there was something there that could have been really cool. But the problem with that one is it knows what's funny is it kind of reminds me of uh i don't know if you guys saw it or not but it's another mark Wahlberg movie oh i i yeah i i dug it but i i I see what you mean with mile 22 mile 22 did you enjoy it it just it it just seemed like it was trying way too hard to be cool yeah i i think that that's fair enough mile 22 was trying to do too many things they wanted it to be a trilogy off the bat but they i mean Wahlberg's never a likable guy he has some funny stuff but it wasn't the best way to open up the movie. And I think other people didn't make valid points that they had all these other martial artists in the movie and they didn't make the best use of them. So, and the plot was basically a mashup of November man, die hard Two, even, you know, born identity kind stuff. But yeah, you really, other than the action, you really do not care about what's going on. And I guess Spencer confidential, I just had fun because it's not game changing at all, but, he was just having fun with just another kind of instead of just anyone else would have just tried too much to just try and catch people up with, you know, a TV show that's been done multiple times based off a best-selling book. And I think he just was like, I'm just going to make my own detective taking down crooked cops storyline and just have fun with it. I, I, I enjoyed it just more than a lot of other Mark's misfires. Um, uh, but no, I, I, if if you couldn't get into Spencer, I understand. It, it it's just kind of a fun but typical Sunday movie. It's not a Friday or Saturday movie where it's like I got to see it open a day. No, it's not, not that kind of movie. It's not one you can watch all the time. That's what I say. No, uh, but 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 I I know what you mean. I I think uh, you've hit on a good point. Don't do the Scorsese thing where it's like I can't be inspired to cast anybody else. And it's like yeah, no. Mark and him have done plenty of money off of Ballers and all these other shows. I think Mark should, if anything, do something else that people don't expect him to do. Because I think 
if anything, he can learn from Peter is like surprise is the best strategy. Do stuff they don't expect you to do and just to show that you can do it. But then, like you say, don't just keep taking any kind of thing that's offered by Netflix or Universal and then and definitely don't do another battleship. <laughs> just, just like, do, do something not so junky that can definitely kind of be more inspirational. So what do you think he might take on next? Because, I mean, he had so much working against him when he did uh, uh, Patriot's Day. I mean, I remember when it was announced, it's like, oh, too soon, you know, <laughs> Boston Marathon. That was a terrible incident. <laughs> but watching the movie, I was glued just as I was that day. I was like, I want them to kill these bastards, you know? <laughs> and uh, I, I think he can definitely play on more emotional strengths. He can definitely be a little more tricky. Um, as a producer that he served as on Taylor Sheridan's recent stuff, like Wind River or Hell or High Water, I'm sure he could definitely ask Taylor, hey, let's work on a screenplay together and you and I, you or I can direct it, you know? Preferably me, you know? <laughs> uh, where, where would you like to see him go next, do you think? I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the other guy, I'll let you go. <laughs> I feel like I talked over you. <laughs> okay, John. That's that's an interesting question because well, there's one genre I'd be curious to see him do. I'm not sure if he'd be willing to tackle it. That's horror. I'd be curious to see what with his certain style what he would do for a horror film. Maybe he could do something like that. Maybe even just a mystery movie that's more than just the twist. But like you say, I, I don't know who. He Maybe he could work with Matt Flanagan. I'd pay to see that. That's true. I, I'd like to see him do. I mean, look, he's proven that he can do action. He's proven that he can, you know, tell these um these heroic stories, and he can add a uh, uh, a really uh, how do I want to say this a real emotional heft to them. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if the next couple things we see from him is doing that again. Obviously, I'd like to see him go back to doing a comedy, um, a, a dark comedy, something very akin to Very Bad Things. I honestly, kind of like you said earlier, I don't see him. Uh, I don't see him doing that. Honestly, what I actually see him doing from this point forward is I could see him putting together a documentary series for Netflix. Or for one of those streaming services where he's he, actually attached to one of those called Green Beret's Guide to Surviving the Apocalypse. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so there you, <laughs> there go. you go. So many. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> scenarios. He's also attached to a documentary about Chris Cornell. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm down. And I you mean, know, we didn't. Oh we didn't really talk about it actually, but um, yeah, I mean, we kind of mentioned it, but you know, Friday Night Lights is. I mean, I never caught the show, but the movie is I would I would say is probably one of the greatest football movies of all time. I mean it really is just such a uh, such a heartfelt ensemble piece. Um I think it would be really kind of cool if he I mean because if you look at all the films that he's done within the past um 10 12 years, you know, Lone Survivor up to Spencer Confidential, these are all stories about heroes if you will, but on kind of a large scale. I think it would be kind of cool if he, you know, kind of went back to basics and he told a story um, about a high school sports team, you know, maybe a squad of wrestlers, a high school wrestlers or oh, a basketball team or something like that. I think you know, he's proven that he can do it with Friday Night Lights. I think that would be really cool. There's actually, you know, it, it's funny that, that we're talking about this, but there's a wonderful documentary out there that is on Amazon right now that I highly recommend everybody check out. It's called A Shot in the Dark. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it that? or not. Which one is that one on? Amazing. So it's on Amazon. It's a, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing story, but it's about a, uh, it's about a blind wrestler. Okay. In high school, this, this kid is um, legally blind. Okay. And it's about his attempts to, uh, to go to state and win the state title. And oh. so they interview, they interview everybody, they interview, of course, the wrestler, but his parents and his coaches and everybody. I think that would be a wonderful story if they chose to uh you know to, to to cast it and everything and of course they could have everybody um the, the real people on you know on hand as consultants or whatever but as i was watching this i was thinking man if they decided to make a like an actual movie about this 
Peter Berg would be the natural fit to direct it. That's a good idea. I, I'm looking it up now. It's supposed to play on Fox Sports Net, so I'll definitely give it a record. Uh, maybe, oh, maybe he could write it or and co-produce, and Gavin O'Connor, a warrior and Pride and Glory fan, could direct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's easily within his wheelhouse. Because they're both so. kind of similar, where they've done so many different formulas. They bre- and much like even Taylor Sheridan, they've rescued movies that the studio dumped, and it's like they had one simple job, which was rewrite it. And it's like it doesn't get talked about enough. Rewriting can save a movie. David Mamet did that with with Ronan, and it's like, well, it, it means a lot. If there's plot holes. You just are going to leave the audience cold, even if it's well shot, even if there's a great cast. And, and, and so, like you say, uh, looking at reading based off of what you described and just looking at the synopsis now. Yeah, I, th- I think this is, could definitely be because that's just it. Uh, it's OK to go by the Rocky formula. People only get bored when the premise just doesn't have any believability. There's some sloppy execution. You're not interested in anything but the fighting. You need something that isn't taxing that really does bring the adrenaline uh, to both uh, your soul and your heart that can just make you feel like you're in the ring seeing this very tough lifestyle, you know, by very brave yeah, people. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I mean, I, I obviously it sounds like you're kind of getting to the end, but you know, I think what is, what is so remarkable about him is I remember seeing him pop up, in various small character actor roles. Aspen Extreme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he actually showed up um Adam Sandler, one of Adam Sandler's very first movies was called Going Overboard. Yeah. It's a terrible comedy. He showed up in that. I didn't even know that. You didn't so, know that? Oh my god. No. You you watch those movies and if you had told me, you know, watching those movies that hey, this guy here in that small little role there is going to be one of the biggest directors working in Hollywood. I wouldn't have believed you, but you got to hand it to him in the, in this day and age when so many directors are guns for hire who are just, you know, hoping to get work or whatever for him to have come onto the scene with such a unique film that is very bad things and who has just continued to, uh, to, you know, put a stamp on various roles and sure. Maybe he was a gun for hire on a few films, but for him to continue working and to have fallen in, carved in this, carved out this, you know, a very impressive niche that he has, I think is awesome. And I'd be really curious to see what more he does from here on out. But like I said, it's, it's very clear that he has an immense appreciation for, for the military, for law enforcement, for just, you know, um, everyday heroics, I guess you could say. And I think those are the stories he likes to tell. And if those are the stories he wants to continue telling, I will certainly, uh, I'll certainly be on board and, and checking them out. For, for sure. Um, did you ever see his uh, Fox TV movie, Virtuality? I never did, no. <laughs> never uh, well, did. That was one of those, that should have been either a movie, they should have either just take, taken their losses and done a movie version of it, or they just should have just taken it to another network and tried doing it because i mean he was working with some big name talent you know future game of Thrones star nicholas castell and uh, you know james darcy clay duvall and then he also you know had all these star trek Battlestar galactica writers behind it this is like that could have been a very intriguing sci-fi mystery that would have kept people guessing and but did you see the documentary he did trophy kids i he produced that one that one was directed by uh chris bell right oh, okay yeah, yeah. So I did see that one. Um, actually, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of that one, the guy who directed Trophy Kids um, did an amazing documentary called Bigger, Stronger, Faster about oh, steroid, okay. I yeah, didn't know that steroid use in America. Let me just say, if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s like I did, and you grew up watching the films of Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Dolph Lundgren, idolizing those massive ethereal beings on screen absolutely you need need to watch bigger stronger faster because it was written produced directed by a guy who also grew up idolizing those films and he pretty much he doesn't just so much um open the lid on steroid usage in america but he just pretty much presents an expose on on cheating in america and why so many cheat 
you know, to, to get ahead in America. And he doesn't just bring up steroids, but he brings up other forms of cheating that, uh, that, that, that other people use that, that we, uh, you know, that we, we seem to think are uh, acceptable when it's when easy to suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I highly recommend that one as well. So. I'll, I'll definitely, man. Uh, so, I mean, if he's not, if he's going to do a documentary or even adapt one, yeah, I, I think he's definitely a candidate. I would like to see him even attempt a comedy again. Cause he's just, I mean, he was just a hoot on Chicago Hope and some of the other brief appearances. I mean, come on. He's the only, like you said before, he's the only good part about (laughs) um, going overboard, let alone Corky Romano. I mean, and that was a stacked deck. So, um, yeah. (laughs) And he does seem like the kind of guy, he's not really snarky. He's just very, he can be a real rascal and you definitely would like to see how he could experiment with that, how he could do some kind of comedy that hits base. And like you say, he kind of has just a rare sense of emotion and able to blend it with the frill of the kill. Most definitely. Most definitely. All righty. So uh, I guess I'll wrap this up a bit. Um, So other than his trilogy of real life stories, uh, what other movies would you recommend people watch just to get a feel for his work just off the bat. Well, obviously uh, very bad things is uh, number one for me. Number one. All right. Yeah. That's number one for me. Um, the rundown rundown is okay. I would say not so much for Peter Berg's direction. Um, rundown is fun to watch uh, mainly because of, you know, it, it's fun to watch as pretty much rocks, not rock, excuse me, Dwayne Johnson, however you want to call him. Um, but it, it's fun to watch for his, for being his first real leading man role. Um, you can see that uh, he obviously had the chops to become the superstar that he is. Um, Christopher Walken. Is Still waiting fun. on that sequel. <laughs> yep. Yep. Christopher Same Walken <laughs> is obviously fun in that one. Friday Night Lights is amazing. Um, anyone who's not seen Friday Night Lights or only knows about it from the TV show. I'd say, what are you doing? Check out the movie. The movie is amazing. Other than those, other than those, you know, those three, um, Kingdom is okay, but I'm not as big on it as others. But uh, yeah, once he once he fell into uh, Lone Survivor, I think that's where really where he found his stride. That's fine. When Kingdom was coming out, it it got basically owned by all these other movies that were just terrible. Just takes on the never-ending war in the Middle East, and it was just like, is this propaganda? What is this? And like I say, it's kind of just a gung-ho movie. Um, but I think that was just kind of his blueprint for how he was going to handle stunts, let alone work with uh, doing multi-character drama. But I, I know what you mean. It, uh, it, it It's easy to get mixed up with all the other, you know, modern warfare movies that were coming out at that same time. Um, so yeah, very bad things. Uh, uh, definitely... Acting wise, definitely check out his scenes in Collateral and Great White Hype. <laughs> You'll just have fun with how, what personas he puts on there. And then, yeah, see his Repart trilogy and, yeah, definitely see what the uh, stunt work is and uh, the kingdom and the comedy that Dwayne put together and run down. And uh, again, Friday Night Lights is probably the best football movie ever made. <laughs> what can we say? <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. Um, Chicago Hope, I'm sorry, that show does not get talked about enough, much like saying elsewhere. Everyone found it easy to just make fun of because it was coming out around the same time as ER. And it's like, yeah, but it's set in a hospital, but it's not about the science or Ooh, my doctor needs surgery. It's like, no, it's not that at all. It's just all these various faces having a coming to Jesus moment, kind of just <laughs> and he's definitely was definitely one of the highlights of that. And actually, his first direct. Where you, where you first got into directing, believe it or not. So, <laughs> uh, and what would you like to promote next on? Uh, I must uh, break this. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so so much for extending the invite, like you did. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah. Uh, on my podcast, I must break this podcast. Um, we look at the uh, <laughs> me and a uh, special guest each episode. Um, special. Look at, <laughs> yeah, we, we look at the guests, or excuse me, we look at the career of, uh, of the great thespian that is Mr. Dolph Lundgren, and uh, we're going in chronological order of his films, um, starting all the way from Rocky Four to the present, and uh, yeah, we pretty much just do deep dives into 
each one of his films and then sprinkled in between the movie review episodes. I've been uh, fortunate to speak with uh, many of the writers, directors and actors who have worked alongside him in uh, a lot of these films. So uh, anyone who's, who's curious about the career of Mr. Lundgren or uh, would just like to kind of, I, I guess, look at uh, independent, uh, independent action filmmaking. Uh, I encourage them to check out, uh, check out my show. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you and jocks on the Dolph fans forum are just both good at not only just telling more info about these cult movies of his, but also clearly just, again, you love film inside and out and unusual stories. And, you know, there's just some great ones that ha just so happen to coincidentally be connected to these movies, you know, <laughs> Like how the late great Bing Cross bought an expensive mansion when he down in Bulgaria because he loved filming that one movie with Dolph so much, The Mechanic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and of course you're you're welcome uh, on anytime. Uh, if there's, Absolutely, bro. If, it, if there's ever any any films of his, we're currently at about 2011 or so onwards. So any of those films uh, uh, stand out to you for uh, for whatever reason? I'd, I'd love to have you on. So uh, so let me know. Uh, hell, I'm just down to talk Dolph in general. Uh, uh, John here, I know he hasn't said as much this episode. We've been hogging the scenery, but yeah, he can tell you about what Dolph's appeal is, just how he's able to even hide his accent, let alone just naturally fit in, you know, and I think you just don't get that. We see everyone talking nonstop about, you know, Van Damme and Stallone, even other Planet Hollywood people. And it's like, but there's something about Dolph that is like, this guy's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I would not want to, I, I would not want to know what he's going to do next because it's not even about fighting or anything. It's about where is he going to even go in this scene? You know, is he going to say a kick-ass line? Is he going to, you know, reveal some uh, part of why he's a badass? And I'm in the process now of getting that rare uh, Japanese Blu-ray that has all four cuts of the Punisher on it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you ever so much for the invite. Uh, I'll definitely make time when the time comes. Uh, uh, John, uh, any other recommendations here on the Berg? <laughs> now I pretty much mentioned all the ones I was going to mention. Really, right. the rundown. So that's been my favorite one of his throughout the years. Uh, and uh, is that where you would start him out, or would you go to Friday Night Lights or the uh, Lone Star? I'll probably start with very bad things. That's then go to rundown afterwards. Okay, so just in chronological order, avoid mm -hmm. Battleship. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, you can watch Battleship. That's all I can say. <laughs> I mean, you won't get anything out of it. Yeah, you can watch nope. it. Now. <laughs> oh, so here's a here, what before we go. <laughs> uh, so Malloy, is this more bearable than all the other Hasbro movies, or is it worse? <laughs> It's more tolerable, that's why I say. <laughs> I mean, he did kind of make Rihanna an action star, and she never capitalized on that. What the hell, Rihanna? Bird got you in the building. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> oh. All right. Um, well, once again, this was a blast, and uh, I, ho I hope, Peter, that you keep surprising the world. <laughs> We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin cough, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. 
I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes. the Google Play, yes. Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. 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 Good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, don't run the listeners away, Pete. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love your movies We love the bad ones, too So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you Oh, yeah Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes and gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steve and Izzy At eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She Podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others? connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast. Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author Wendy Heller and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers 
bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watchers to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at VD Clinic Pod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.